Hi, everybody. This is Science Modeling Talks, the podcast that features top modeling instructors and thought leaders sharing ideas. I'm your host, Mark Royce. Remember to visit sciencemodelingtalks.com to access extra content related to our interviews and to learn more about our guests. While you're there, share your thoughts and comments by clicking the link that says, Tell us what you think. We really want to hear from you. Okay, let's get started with today's episode. My guest for this episode is Jim Stankovitz. Jim began teaching high school physics at Marist High School in Chicago in 1976, and he received his master's degree in physics education from DePaul University in 1981. He was awarded the Presidential Award for Excellence in Teaching Science in 1993 and moved to Wheaton Warrenville South High School in Wheaton, Illinois in 1994. Jim was introduced to modeling instruction in 1995, where he took a modeling workshop led by Greg Swackhammer. In 1997, he co-led a modeling workshop at the University of Akron with Lou Turner. Eventually, he led or co-led 28 modeling workshops and was elected to the AMTA board in 2015. He served as the AMTA board president in 2017 and 18. He also taught a graduate physics methods course at the University of Illinois, Chicago for five years. After 42 years of teaching physics, Jim retired in 2018. Here's my interview with Jim. Hey, Jim. How's it going? Hey, Mark. It's going well. Thanks for doing this for us. Yeah. Remind me where you are right now, where you're living. I am living now in uh, Zionsville, Indiana, outside of Indianapolis. Uh-huh. Uh, we, mo- we moved here back in November of last year. Uh, I had been a longtime resident of the Chicago area. And my uh, younger son moved here with our twin two-year-old grandsons. And we said, okay, we're not going to commute the three hours between Chicago and here. So we moved down here to be close to them. That's awesome. Um, So I know that you're retired now, but you have been a modeling instructor for over 25 years. Is that correct? That's that's correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You um, you got started in modeling in '97, I believe, is what I read. Well, um, 19. If I go back to when I first heard about it, it was 1995. 95. Okay. I started uh, with the workshop that uh, Greg Swackhamer led at the University of Illinois Chicago that summer. How'd you find out about modeling instruction <laughs> originally? Um, well. I was a member of the AAPT, and I subscribed to the Physics Teacher magazine. And it was the issue that the uh, Force Concept Inventory first came out that I saw that. And I thought, hmm, this is kind of interesting. And uh, I read the article, you know, took a look at the test. And uh, I thought, well, my students should really do well on this. I think they're going to ace this test. And so... The article kind of encouraged people to administer it to see how our uh, our students would do. So I gave it, fully expecting them to do wonderfully well. And when I looked at the uh, 
statistics of the Scantron result, it's one of those moments where you kind of remember all the details of your surroundings because it was so traumatic. <laughs> the The scores were, were just abysmal, and I was shocked, and I thought, I must have filled out the key wrong or something. This can't be. But I checked and double-checked, and sure enough, my, my students were averaging under 50%. Wow. And I just had this sudden awakening of, oh my goodness, what have I been doing all these years? Uh, I, I thought I was doing a pretty good job, and the FCI results were so bad that I really had to uh, self-examine how I was teaching and, and what, what my students were learning, and there was this big disconnect between what I expected them to be able to do and what they did. Hmm. So along with that article was an ad for the uh, summer workshop that Greg was running that was specifically aimed at addressing uh, student misconceptions. So uh, I signed up for it and thought, well, um, I'm going to give this a try. Huh. Very cool. cool. So you started modeling after that workshop. Right. And tell me a bit about how it changed you as a teacher, your your approaches to the classroom, and especially in those early years. Mm -hmm. Well, I have some very vivid recollections of uh, doing modeling with my students that first year, uh, having them get up there with whiteboards and lead presentations of lab results and to lead discussions of problem sets. And I distinctly remember thinking, boy, have I underestimated what my students could do. I know in the past I would think, well, they're not going to get this. I'll have to tell them. And when I started modeling, based on what Greg had uh, told us to do, I was like, okay, I'm going to let them struggle with this perhaps, but they're going to do it. And they amazed me so much because they were able to do it took a little bit more time, took a, a lot of very, very careful listening. I just, I remember being exhausted at the end of a school day more than I had ever been because I had to really, really concentrate and listen to what my students were saying. Because as, uh, as I found out, uh, what they were saying and what they weren't saying were hiding all kinds of misconceptions that I had never imagined they held. But simple Simple questions like, well, how did you know? Why did you do that? Uh, just exposed all these things that my students were thinking that uh, it, it kind of shocked me at first. So I, uh, I stuck with it. And, of course, back then, uh, the only materials available were mechanics. So I finished the semester and finished the mechanics and thought, now what do I do? There was nothing else. There was no optics. There was no E&M. And I thought, well, look, I can't go back to teaching the way I used to. I just can't do it because I had seen the successes of my students. So I kind of muddled my way through second semester and, you know, did a little optics and a little E&M and tried to do it in a, in a modeling way. But of course, I didn't have the materials. So that was, it was a bit of a struggle. But uh, then that second year of the workshop at the University of Illinois, Chicago, we worked on just starting those second semester materials and developing worksheets and labs that 
were consistent with uh, the modeling philosophy. Hmm. That's interesting. I um, I wanted to know, you know, you've been doing it for 25 years, and when you first started teaching, what were some of the challenges that you faced at the beginning? You know, what kinds of uh, things did you encounter that, that challenged you, that caused your growth? Well, the the biggest thing, I think, was just my students were so... They're just not used to getting up in front of their peers and basically taking over the class. Uh, Even though I was still questioning, they were the ones up at the front. They were the ones that were elaborating on ideas. And that was very difficult for my students. They just hadn't seen that before. Hmm. And uh, I remember in particular one, one girl who, I think it was like the end of October, said, Mr. Stankiewicz, are you ever going to respond to one of our uh, presentations with something other than what do you think? <laughs> and of course I responded, what do you think? <laughs> she was just so frustrated. Uh, I also had to deal with parents who were hearing stories from their uh, sons and daughters that, oh, my physics teacher, he's really not teaching me. And uh, I, I, in particular, had one uh, one father who was a physics professor at a nearby college mm. who contacted me and was just uh, adamant that what I was doing was so wrong. He said, what you're asking these high school kids to do is way beyond what I w- would ever ask my college students to do. And when I talked to him, I said, but they're doing it. They are succeeding. They may not like it. <laughs> they may feel frustrated at times, but they really are succeeding. So after a few other phone calls back and forth, I invited him to come in to my classroom to see what the students were doing. I made sure it wasn't in his daughter's classroom, but <laughs> he came in and he observed uh, my students and he was so impressed. He, he really became one of my strongest advocates after that. Ah. Because he said, what you are getting these high school kids to do, I, I, I never thought they were capable of doing it. And I said, that's me. I never thought they were either, but they were. At the time you began uh, using modeling instruction, it wasn't as well known as it is today. It's getting much more uh, accepted across the U.S. and and even other places in the world. Right. Um, but you encountered some resistance, I would imagine, in those days, uh, 25 years ago, <laughs> that that uh, teachers may not face as much, or maybe maybe teachers do. You know, I don't know. But how how did you find dealing with that resistance? I mean, you just gave me one example of a a parent who was a professor, mm-hmm. and uh, you know. But what what did you learn in dealing with that kind of resistance? Well, first with my students, what I learned that really helped was every now and then I I kind of recollect doing this towards the end of each unit was to just stop and have this discussion with my students about what I was doing and how they were reacting to it and kind of, I don't know, just uh, letting them in on, on what I was doing was something that they also were not very accustomed to by teachers. And so I would explain to them 
the modeling methodology and, and why I thought it was so important that we deal with the, the classroom activities the way we were. And I thought that that opened up to them the idea that, well, we're all kind of in this. I said, I'm new at this. I know I'm going to be making mistakes, but here's why I think it's important for you as my students to have class this way. And uh, I think that helped. And I did that oftentimes, too, at uh, like curriculum nights with the parents uh, to say, be very open about what I was doing. And even though, you know, the parents or some of the students wouldn't necessarily like it, I wanted them to be uh, aware of of what was happening. And it also helped with my colleagues because this was so new to them, too, and um, meant Many of them were excellent teachers, wonderful teachers. But they would go by my classroom and and see what my students were doing and were kind of shaking their heads like, what is he doing in there? What What's going on? And I was fortunate enough to have a, a good friend, a colleague, Tom Todd, who saw what I was doing and thought, this is really neat. I think I want to try it too. So the second year after I did modeling, he took a workshop at uh, River Falls in Wisconsin with uh, David Braunschweig. And he came back, so now he was doing modeling. And he also was an astronomy teacher. So he was doing physics and astronomy and started to develop astronomy materials using the modeling approach. And it kind of snowballed after you know a few years. Most of the physics teachers decided they wanted to teach this way. So... We started running district workshops for my colleagues to train them in modeling, and were able to get uh, uh, an offer of a graduate credit option, which always was a big incentive because it included uh, salary increases. And uh, you know, eventually, we started to invite teachers from uh, local schools near us. And from there, it just grew and grew. And so by the time I retired, it was a requirement for new hires to go through modeling training. And as a result, uh, all of the science disciplines in our department were being taught using modeling by the time I retired. Wow. That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty big influence (laughs) that you had, you know, starting it off. So Well, and, and I have to say, I had wonderful support from our administration. We had a, ah. a principal who backed me entirely, and he was aware of some of the blowback I got at, at the start, but he was like, look, I trust Jim. He's a professional. Uh, we're going to do this. Uh, we're not moving kids out of Jim's physics sections into other sections. We're just not going to do it. So he supported me, and in the end, our district did too because they supported the, uh, the workshops that we were running, along with the uh, uh, teacher training for the other science teachers in our district. Are you familiar with, you probably are, physics first? Yes, mm-hmm. and very much. Did you guys practice that, or what are your, thought, what are your thoughts about physics first? We, we made a, a strong attempt to, uh, to do physics first in our district, now, we are a, a, a two-high school district, and we did have to have uh, consistency in the offerings that we were doing. So we, uh, 
we actually did a lot of research on physics first. Uh, I was fortunate enough uh, being near uh, Fermilab that uh, Leon Letterman, the director of Fermilab, Nobel Prize winner, he was very much a physics first advocate. Uh, he actually came in my classroom and watched a modeling session. Uh, it was actually before he uh, went to Arizona State to talk with David Hestonese. So uh, we had some pretty strong advocates for us. Now, the difficulty was that our sister school was not as strong a modeling school, and they pushed back on the impetus that you know we were looking for going to physics first. In the long run, uh, one of our superintendents made the decision that they were not going to force both schools to do the physics first curriculum because even though we wanted it and thought it was a really great idea uh, the other school didn't and our superintendent was i can't i can't mandate methodology on my teachers so we we were still free to do modeling but physics first was not something that was going to happen I'm glad at least your school got very deeply committed to the modeling approach. That's great. Although we didn't get physics first, we did change the curriculum in such a way that there was a phys chem course that eventually was introduced for freshmen. Huh. So it was a semester of physics and a semester of chemistry. Wow. So, and at least at our school, that was taught using modeling methodology. So they eventually did get that. Uh, physics semester in their freshman year. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. We'll get back to the interview in a moment. But first, did you know you can support the AMTA by simply shopping online with Amazon? When you use Amazon Smile, Amazon will make a donation to the AMTA at no additional cost to you. Setting up Amazon Smile is easy. Just go to smile.amazon.com. That's S-M-I-L-E dot A-M-A-Z-O-N dot com. And select American Modeling Teachers Association as your preferred charity. You signing up will really help the modeling cause. Now, back to the interview. Um, you, I, I'm curious about what you would consider your greatest strengths in the classroom, especially as it pertains to modeling, of course. But what do you think your your best stuff was that you really focused on and excelled at? Uh, to me, the whiteboard presentations, whether it be lab results or whether it be problem solution presentation, that was the key to my modeling classroom. So. I really worked hard those first few years during student presentations to take notes. What, what were my students saying? What were the misconceptions that were being exposed as a result of their presentations? So that in subsequent years, I kind of had an idea of the things I wanted to target during whiteboard presentations. And I think I became a pretty good listener of what my students were saying so that, uh, you know, the, the famous, what, what does it mean, <laughs> was kind of one of my uh, pet peeves. When you say 
it does this or what exactly do you mean? So I kind of focused on that, but it, 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 uh, it there I'm using it. <laughs> it's so hard not to use it and assume that you know what the listener uh, understands by that. Right. So I think I became pretty pretty good at questioning and leading uh, whiteboard discussions without giving answers. And I just think it, it helped my students so much to be able to, you know, get in front of their peers. That was difficult, of course, for them. But to eventually get to where I wanted them to go through Socratic dialogue and appropriate questioning. And I think that was... It was the thing I found at the very beginning was hardest for me to do, so I think I really pushed myself to focus on that. And I think I got pretty good at it after a while. What other uh, techniques and insights have you gained and discovered that help students in the classroom connect with especially some of the more challenging ideas that are presented? Because there are some aspects of the physics classroom that are just kind of common roadblocks for kids learning mm-hmm. yeah, how what are some of the tricks and and uh techniques that you found that you could use to help connect those kids to good thinking and good learning in that area yeah I, one of my favorite problems that came in in uh, in the first motion unit uh it was an average speed problem with uh, race cars going around a track and Greg uh, Sweckheimer showed us that problem in in the workshop, and like pretty much everybody, I fell for it. I was just trying to do a simple average when that that was not the way to solve that problem. And that stuck with me uh, for so long that I not only had my students do that problem, but then I, I stopped the class and we had a discussion about how that problem could be so difficult when on on the surface it seems so easy. And I I said to them, I I called it my modeling moment, because Hmm. I emphasized then that, look, you are going to use the models that we develop in here to solve these physics problems. You are going to use algebra, certainly, but if you're going to go outside our, I called it our modeling toolbox, and use something from algebra, geometry, trig, calculus, whatever you're going to go to, make sure that you still understand the physics model. I didn't want them to just end up using algorithms to solve problems and find trick ways to do it without the understanding. Hmm. So we would periodically, I would stop the class and say, okay, this is another one of those modeling moments. And then they'd kind of groan, but they'd, they'd really become conscious of trying to use the models to to do problem solving uh-huh. rather than other shortcuts. And throughout the year, we would often laugh at that race car problem as kind of the, oh yeah, here we go again. Because they eventually saw the value in using those models to do problem solving rather than just some algebra trick, for example. And in the lab situation, Uh, Our labs were all very much open-ended, so they also were challenged to take on the responsibility of crafting procedures in the lab, Mm -hmm. and then to defend those to their peers as well. So uh, I also know that that takes a lot of time, and you, you had to 
let those kids have that time to fail and try again and try again until they eventually would get it. But they, they would appreciate it so much. And when we ran our workshops at our school uh, in front of, I don't know, sometimes 100, 120 high school teachers, we would have a, like a, a forum discussion where we would invite in the middle of summer some of our former students to come in and just talk openly about their experience in a modeling classroom. Wow. And this was across the board from uh, our uh, you know, freshman basic level all the way through senior AP physics huh. that these kids were, would articulate their experiences in the classroom and they would say, look, I didn't always like it. I didn't always like having to get up in front of my peers and think on my feet, but he, but they to, almost to the person would say, I really appreciate what that ended up being for me as just this learning experience that that they would take not only from our high school, but, but beyond. And they became really good listeners and questioners themselves. Wow. And to me, that was the most rewarding thing about about the modeling experience, was just hearing those kids talk about what it was like to be in a modeling classroom. Did you guys record that, their <laughs> students' responses? Uh, I, I know that we did in, the, in the, like the last two or three years of our workshops at our school. We did, yeah. Yeah. Because very those powerful. Would be really pow- yeah, very powerful to share, you know. Do you guys have those available somewhere for people to? Uh, well, since I'm retired, I'd have to. I'd have to get back to our. Oh, sure, right, right. I forgot. <laughs> our tech guru yeah. guy who who was there doing them, but uh, uh, they may be available. I can check. I can certainly check. So I know that in 2015 you joined the AMTA uh, board. Yes. And I assume you were a member of AMTA before that, right? As mm-hmm. a modeler, mm-hmm. and. Uh, Talk to me a little bit about what you feel about the AMTA and its role and uh, contribution in the in in our country. Really, you know, with education. Well, being on the board, it just uh, uh, really got me to see the the breadth and depth of modeling that's going on. And uh, you know, we know there's certain hotspots uh, where there are a lot of modelers. And those areas are phenomenal in, you know, the, the colleagues that you can quickly go to and get helpful information from. But to have kind of the, the view from the inside of all the workshops that were going on, uh, when I was on the board, it was pretty typical to have 50 workshops in a summer. And, and just to see the number of dedicated modelers that were being trained uh, it was it was quite impressive, and it was uh, again a, a, a time I think where modeling expanded into other disciplines beyond physics, where of course it started. Yeah, and those other discipline areas were getting better and better every year at the materials and training teachers, mm-hmm. and. Uh, just to see the scope of that and then to see all the STEM organizations that were starting up so that those teachers did have local communities to uh, confer with, uh, that was really encouraging to me. You were the president of the board for a, 
a year? Was it 17 through 18? Was it one year or um, was that a two-year? I was uh, President Wright from 17 to 18. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. And uh, so what did that experience teach you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it taught me that uh, leading discussions of board members is... Uh, is more difficult than leading discussions <laughs> with students. <laughs> um, just oh my goodness! The the wonderful uh, breadth of ideas that people brought to the board meetings. You know, only a small fraction of all those ideas ever get put into action because there just aren't the resources. But uh, to hear all the wonderful ideas that the board members had for implementing and expanding and promoting modeling. Yeah. Uh, it was neat. I, I just wish we had more resources so that oh, we could yeah. do all that. It, yeah. it was tough trying to decide uh, what exactly would get done because there's so much to do. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a, it's a truly grassroots institution, you right. know, that's grown, but you know, it's it's not like government funded or that kind of thing, and so yeah. So, um, what would you say to our listeners? Uh, let's say for to someone who is not an AMTA member, AMTA member, uh, what would you say to them to encourage them to get involved with the AMTA as a member? Well, I think the the main thing is that. There's this wonderful community of teachers out there that you can access through the AMTA that can be of great assistance. And, you know, when I first started modeling, there were such a small number of people, but the people that were in our, our workshop at the uh, University of Illinois, and then later on when we joined up with the Arizona State people, they were such a wonderful resource that we could go to uh, back then, listservs were in their infancy and it was such a new thing but it was it was great that you could post a question to the listserv and get 10 15 different opinions and answers to help you out and that's what i think is so great about the modeling community is that they are available for that kind of uh, assistance in the form of discussions ideas about labs ideas about whiteboarding you name it so I really encourage people who uh, take a workshop uh, to uh, not only join the AMTA, but to stay active in it, because there is a, a tremendous amount of resources available that they can take advantage of. And then the challenge I always gave our workshop participants at the end was, okay, now it's your turn. Uh, you have hopefully benefited from this workshop uh, now I want you to become the advocate for modeling and get your colleagues involved as well. So, Jim, you've taught so many workshops over the years, these last several years. What? Tell me about that experience of teaching and, and what you learned and how you grew and how you influenced others, you know, the whole thing. How was doing workshops? Leading the, the teacher workshops, uh, and it was so different than teaching students because here were people with all kinds of teaching experience levels, some brand new, some teaching for 20, 30 years in some cases, who brought such a wealth of experience and background and 
views from schools and districts that were so much different than mine. And to be able to spend time talking shop with these people about how to implement modeling in the variety of conditions and courses and various uh, communities was, was just wonderful to be able to do that and open my eyes to the difficulties that many teachers face. Uh, you know, I, I think I'm most impressed with the teachers that come out of the smaller schools and mainly rural areas that they have five preps and they're all five different sciences. And I was like, I don't know how I could wrap my mind around that. Uh, but but to be able to give them some insight into modeling uh, in those other disciplines, even though I wasn't certainly qualified in the content area, uh, I thought was one of the, the most rewarding things I, I, I did during those workshops. And uh, we, we just, we had so much fun. It's, it's such a blast teaching teachers because um, I was able to, we used to joke around, we put them in student mode where we want them to act like students so they would get the modeling experience. So that was that was very rewarding for me, too. Yeah, that's awesome. Is there anything that you would love to say to our listeners, especially the younger uh, modeler or early, I don't know, how, I don't know if I want to say younger people, but the people who are more new to modeling, what's your final parting words of wisdom that you would share as a very well-established modeler? I think I'd, I'd say, as, thinking back on my first experience, is to j stick with it. Uh, it. It was so rewarding to see at the end of that first year what my students were doing compared to what they had been doing before. And I think if I had had quit at the beginning because it was so hard for me that they never would have gotten there. And I know a lot of people are in districts where that's a very difficult thing for them to do, be it because of uh, curriculum requirements, um, parents and students that aren't necessarily buying into modeling when it first shows up. But uh, stick with it. Uh, be open about what you're doing and why you're doing it. And give it time. And if you do, I, I think you'll, you'll be amazed at what your students are able to accomplish. That's great. Well, Jim, thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule and to talk with us and to share your insights. It's been really great. And uh, I want to just say thank you one more time. Well, thank you, Mark. I, I really appreciate what you're doing for modeling and uh, having things like this podcast is uh, a wonderful resource for, I know, lots of teachers out there that are looking for uh, as much assistance in modeling as they can get. So thank you. Oh, thanks, Jim. Okay, you take care, and we'll look forward yeah, to too. seeing you sometime. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> See you, Mark. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining us on another episode of Science Modeling Talks. Head over to sciencemodelingtalks.com and you'll be able to listen to any of our archived episodes and access our show notes, which include guest bios, show highlights, and links to resources that were mentioned during the interview. While you're there, subscribe to our show so you won't miss out on any of our episodes. When you join this community through our email list, we'll send you a link to a lot of awesome resources from the American Modeling Teachers Association. 
Okay, so that's our show. As always, remember to keep striving for excellence in your classroom.